Welcome to Theatre Voice, a podcast about performance from the V&A. A double act this week as Mark Fisher talks to the brilliant brothers Lewis and Finn Den Hertel. Finn is a director and actor, Lewis a video designer and visual artist, and they often work together, especially in their relatively new company group work, which incorporates video and movement. I saw Groupwork's first piece, The Afflicted, at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2019, and it really blew me away. It was a kind of examination of true crime based on the semi-true story of 24 American high school girls who developed an inexplicable twitching disorder. It was full of incredible sound and video and choreography. It was a pretty overwhelming experience, especially sitting in a former animal dissection room in the middle of a very hectic month. Separately, Finn has directed Kieran Hurley's adaptation of Ibsen's Enemy of the People and Square Go by Gary McNair and by Kieran Hurley, which are both fantastic pieces of work. And Lewis has worked on 306 Dusk and My Left Right Foot for National Theatre Scotland, again, both amazing pieces, as well as loads of other bits of work. Um, The brothers grew up with actor parents who were both members of the Dundee Rep Company, so maybe it was inevitable that they would end up in theatre, or maybe not. Well, they explain the positives and the negatives of that experience in this really brilliant, really funny interview with Mark Fisher. Uh, Well, so thank you very much for doing this and lovely to talk to you, Lewis, and you, Finn. And maybe I could, I know I won't start with my proclaimers question about when you first got (laughs) together, but but I was just remembering that, that, Lewis, I interviewed you when you were still 11 years old, yes. having recently moved to Dundee. And uh, the, the, the reason I interviewed you is, is because your mum and Louise Ross and your dad, uh, Niels Den Hertog, were newly at that point um, installed as, as part of the ensemble at Dundee Rep. One of the many things that's interesting about the two of you working together and working in parallel is that you've been, you've had a theatrical up, up, upbringing. Indeed. So maybe we could start by, I've mentioned you, Lewis, so maybe you could start, Lewis, just by introducing yourself and saying the kind of stuff that you do. Sure. Uh, so I'm Lewis Den Hertog and I'm uh, a video designer uh, in theatre, also a sound designer and composer. My entry into professional world of theatre was very much like a kind of I tried to get out, but they pulled me back in. Because <laughs> um, I went to art school and I, I, did, I did a degree uh, in time-based art and digital film in Dundee. And then I did a, a, a postgrad in Edinburgh in contemporary art practice and was very much uh, in earnest making an attempt to uh, do things in the world of exhibitions and contemporary art. But um, I guess gradually became aware that I could... T- you know, have a make money uh, using the knowledge I had about video in in theatre, and also have kind of more fun as well. <laughs> um, uh, the world of exhibitions is quite um, stern faced a lot of the time, and or contemporary art. So, if you try and be funny in contemporary art, then they're like, "Oh yes, you're utilising humour." Uh, <laughs> whereas, like, if you're funny in theatre, it's just people laugh. So, you know, like, um, I guess there was a sort of gradual realisation that it was a fun world to work in and that I had I had acquired from art school a skill set that, that was quite handy and, and certainly in, in Scotland it didn't seem like it was in huge abundance so um, yeah that's how I kind of ended up mm-hmm. being a video designer. And Finn you uh, we were just joking because because uh, 
Lewis got into the theatre, I think before you, yes, uh, so, so I was there interviewing him as an 11-year-old in an Arthur Miller play. Yeah. Uh, but you didn't rebel, you didn't go to art college to try and do something different and then fail and get pulled back again. You, you, follow, you <laughs> yeah, followed in the fail. family. <laughs> <laughs> followed. Failed. Failed yeah, failure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> failed in your mission to get away. Uh, succeeded in every other respect. <laughs> uh, but you, you didn't rebel in that sense. No, I, I joined the family business. Um, yeah, so I went to uh, drama school in Glasgow, RC, RCS or RSAND as it was then, just across the road from where we are. Studied acting, graduated in 2007, um, and began uh, almost instantly getting work, which was fantastic. I worked in uh, theatres around the country um, for several years and then quite... All through that, working as an actor, I was sort of harbouring these um, ambitions to direct. Well, even even as far back as being in drama school, I was wanting to try my hand at directing. And so I think I did my first bit of kind of directing work around 2010, so not long after I'd left drama school. And then my first piece of professional directing was 10 years ago this year, 2012. Mm -hmm. um, and now, and, 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 and for the fir first sort of um, few years of my directing career, I was still acting as well. Now I'm acting less, although I am still available for acting work, <laughs> if anyone's listening. Uh, I'm still on Spotlight. I still have an agent. <laughs> um, but my focus is now much more, um, much more in, in directing. And actually, I kind of hold Lewis partly responsible for that, because when he was at art school and I was acting... I remember t having conversations with him about about the work that you were making and just the idea of making your own work was something that was really exciting and something that I felt I wasn't getting the chance to do as an, as an actor as much as I would have liked to. Um, and does that, um, Lewis, does that chime with you, that sense of autonomy that you have as a, as a sole trader, apart from anything else, mm. but doing, doing, being a, an artist, you, you, you originate the ideas and you put them into practice? Yeah, I think that... Um, you know, there's the sort of sole trader part of it is that sometimes you, you just work on other people's ideas and that's where you, you know, um, make a living. Uh, but then, yeah, I guess over the past couple of years, become aware that there's opportunity to, to kind of uh, make work on our own terms. Um, and it's immediately kind of uh, more exciting and more, more satisfying, more challenging as well, you know, like um, to, to, to sort of put yourself out there in a way and say like well the ideas that we're having might be worth your while as an mm. audience you know as a as an actor you spend a lot of time waiting by the phone or waiting by the the emails <laughs> which are on your phone um <laughs> and you and and as a director it, when, when i started making work as a director i thought okay now i'm now i have this autonomy now i'm in, in control of my own destiny mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i'm thinking we can come back to the stuff that you've been doing more recently but mm. I'm thinking back to, to meeting Lewis, age 11, <laughs> in Dundee Rap, and there was a, just an observation I made in, in the article I wrote in the Glasgow Herald saying that the good thing for you two moving from Edinburgh to, to Dundee as, as young boys was that uh, if you came home from school, you could always go to the foyer of, yeah. of Dundee Rap because uh, you, there would be someone around and you could be looked at. And I'm kind of wondering... This is a pretentious analogy, but, you know, Shakespeare was a man of the theatre. He wrote, yeah. he was an actor and he was a company man and he wrote these plays and he knew who he was writing for. I'm just wondering what that, A, I suppose, what that immersion was like from such a, a, 
an early age. Mm. I, I suppose you know nothing different, but you yeah. know, what was it like to grow up with theatre around you? And I suppose question B was would be, um, how has that informed the, what you do now? Well, I, personally, I think the comparison to Shakespeare is totally <laughs> I'm quite happy with that. Um, <laughs> uh, Lewis? Uh, well, I, um, <laughs> growing up in Dundee Rep is something that I speak to my counsellor about quite a lot, <laughs> genuinely. Uh, shout out to my counsellor. Um, but, yeah, the, I, I think that, um, as you say, it was the only thing we knew would ever have known. Um, but it, I, I guess I, I don't think that often about what it did to me as a creative person, but as a social person, it was it formed who I am. Certainly, like that thing of you know when when I think back to time spent in Dundee Rep, uh, either kind of um, well, like often in the bar, you know, people. <laughs> Uh, our, our parents and their colleagues um, spending a lot of time in, you know, after work in the bar. Like every theatre has a pub in it. And that's one of the best things about <laughs> working in theatre. And actually, um, I should add a, a detail that the important, crucial thing about Dundee Rep is that from the point when your parents joined it, it is a permanent ensemble. Yeah, and I yeah. think pretty much the only permanent ensemble, yeah. certainly in Scotland, and I'm sure one exists, of the few in the yeah. whole UK. Yeah. So, th so th that sense of community and identity is very rooted in. Uh, yeah, and a real sense of, of I think real sense of excitement because it was kind of a group of freelancers who were being given permanent contracts for initially for three years that went mm. on and on and on so there was this like atmosphere of real excitement mm. and, and, and a confidence, and confidence yeah. and a kind of party vibe I yeah think, you know yeah everyone was steaming yeah. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it was a different time different very different, different yeah, time you know smoky kind of <laughs> boozy smoky, you know. hazy. um but yeah, like there was a kind of, um, yeah, I, I guess it was unusual to get the experience of like being around a big group of actors who were like, yeah, be becoming a sort of little family and, and, uh, and you know, that's the sort of thing I've realised about freelancing now is like you, you form these little teams with people for like six weeks and then you're away again and, you know, you encounter individuals again sort of throughout the years. But that was, yeah, like a sort of being amongst a, a sort of camp of people. Yeah. Um, who you know, <clears throat> all we got to know all of them very well, and, and uh, you know, they were all actors who seemed to kind of be sincerely interested in us as people when we were, you know, even though we were kids. Basically, it's like the t being taken seriously by by grown ups. You know, that was quite an important thing. It's huge, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, they, I mean, I certainly when we moved up to Dundee had, I, I think, probably more of an interest in in theatre already than, than you did. I'd been mm. going to drama groups and things like that in, in, in Edinburgh. Um, and I'd st just started high school and, and, and so I'd, you know, I was sort of starting to think a bit about a career or, or what, you know, the weird thing that you do when you start high school, you're thinking mm. about leaving. Um, <laughs> so there was certainly a kind of, the, the excitement of, of that for me, of getting to be in the theatre, because both of our parents were there, um, we we had to be there at all of the times so we were there in tech. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the first show that they did was Midsummer Night's Dream, um, and in the the design for that there was like 
some, I don't remember quite the number, but a, a, a large number of leaves were supposed oh, to yeah. drop when they went into the forest. Yeah. And Hundreds they did, of thousands of yeah. paper leaves. Paper leaves. And they did it in tech and the leaves all just like fell in one big clump, <laughs> this thud. And so they decided, well, what, what we need to do is we need to individually fold all the leaves. Well, who did they get to do that? These two <laughs> teenage boys who had nothing else to yeah. do and nowhere else to go. So we spent <laughs> night after night uh -huh. folding these leaves. Child labour. You wouldn't get away with it today. Yeah, don't want on your CV, so I printed out leaf folders. Yeah, not yeah it's not there. <laughs> um, uh, so that was, that was, you know, when people ask you what your first job in theatre was, that was really it. <laughs> yeah. um, but certainly, like, yeah, I think in terms of the influences had... It, it, in a in a way, we're incredibly like fortunate that it always felt like an available avenue to go down. For a lot of people, it's not. Um, but in saying that, it wasn't like the you know it wasn't the glamour. Mm. Or any, you know, prior to moving up to Dundee, I think um, uh, our mum worked a lot at the Lyceum and the Traverse. Our dad worked at the Traverse. And in Edinburgh, you'll know, like you've got the Lyceum, the Traverse, and then there was the Job Centre. And like there was a sort of triangle yeah. of the Lyceum, Traverse, and the Job Centre, which mm. was where, you know, we'd be taken to one of those three places yeah. when, we were, when we were younger. So we mm. understood that like it wasn't a, a stable or a kind of um, a, an economically kind of um, basically like there was no money in it, mm. and and it was it was it was imbalanced, you know, it, it was unsteady. But then moving up to Dundee, there was this sudden suddenly sort of there was a, ste a, a more steady, there was more steadiness to the work. Mm. And so then, yeah, like we got to just see how a, how an ensemble worked and, and grew and kind of, I mean, just the education in terms of the amount of plays that we saw yeah. between the age of, you know, well, between 99 when, when we moved up there and I left to go to drama school, in 20, well, I left home in 2003, but... Mm you know, would go back and see all the work. So, so we just got this enormous education in theatre and theatre styles. And, mm. you know, they had all these guest directors. There was an incredible uh, Lithuanian director who came over and did The Seagull so, in 2001. And, like, that still, that production of The Seagull still remains to this day, like, one of the things that inspired me to, you know, to, to make a go of, of, of working in theatre as a real job. Mm. Um, because it was just un, un, unreal. Um, I hadn't ever seen anything like it. And then Dominic Hill coming out and, and taking him, him and James taking over. Just this work, re you know, I, I, I do think for me it was it was my earliest kind of inspirations. They were my earliest inspirations in, in terms of my taste and aesthetic and things like that. And so much so that when I went to drama school, you know, if I ever had a had to pick a scene to do as an exercise or for showcase or whatever, it would tend to be something that I'd seen at Dundee Rep. Um, or that had happened, you know, that had happened at Dundee because that was basically the world of plays mm. for me. Were the and plays. you must have, by the time you came to college, it must have been, you must have, the other students must have thought you were so worldly wise and so kind of well, well, well <laughs> I'm not sure about that. <laughs> um, I certainly, yeah, I certainly had a, I mean, I, I, it, what it meant was that when I went to college, I had a bit of a crisis of faith, I think, because I was like, oh, this isn't the same as what I thought it was going to be like. Mm. Um, um, yeah, I, w I wouldn't like to speak for my classmates <laughs> whether they thought I was worldly wise. Ask Martin or... McCormick. <laughs> worldly wise or another word beginning with W. <laughs> um, yeah.
Yeah, yeah. And your what was it an act of rebellion to to go to an art school route? No, I, I, it didn't feel like you know the, the real act of rebellion would have been becoming an accountant. And you still, you know, when you introduce yourself just now, you still define yourself as you, as a visual artist as much mm. as a theatre designer or a video maker or whatever. The, that you haven't boxed yourself into one thing or the other. I guess so. I mean, uh, yeah, video design is the only thing I make money for. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, like me in the acting, if somebody was to offer you an exhibition, you wouldn't. Oh, totally, yeah. yeah I'd jump at the chance. Um, and and if somebody was to offer me acting work, <laughs> yeah. voice voiceover work. That's the thing work. that is. There's, there's a little known thing is actually. So you said, Mark, that you interviewed Lewis when he was doing an acting job. He did three. You did three shows at Dundee Rep. Yeah. I. Did video design for several shows <laughs> Rep when I was a teenager. Yeah. Um, so we swapped, we switched we swapped roles. roles. Yeah. Freaky I mean, Friday. I say video design, it was PowerPoint presentation, <laughs> making text appear because nobody in the building understood how it worked, mm. apart from yeah, apart from us. And how old were you at that point? I was about 15 when mm. I did that. That was from Mintz, which was Forbes Masters, oh, yeah. Forbes Mason's mm. um, musical. And they needed some projected stuff, yeah. which I provided. Well, that may be a nice segue into talking about the way that the two of you work together, as mm. as you have done and are about to again as part of the company called Group Work. So mm-hmm. you can tell me about Group Work. Uh, but also in what we've mentioned, the enemy, you both worked on the enemy and there's mm. other things that you've done together. Um, where does sibling rivalry stop and, and collaborative, <laughs> collaborativeness start? <laughs> Good question. Mm. I feel the like fuel. The yeah, sibling <laughs> rivalry is part of the DNA of the uh-huh. collaboration. I think you know, it's not the proclaimers I'm interviewing. No, it's exactly. the Oasis I'm interviewing. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed, uh, we started working together properly on um, the first thing we did together was squash in yes. 2014, which was a play pine a pint written by Martin McCormick, um, and Lewis was the sound designer for that show. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, I think, just a case of, well, I mean, almost always, I think the thing is that we know each other, you know, mm. obviously we know each other incredibly well, we know each other's <laughs> aesthetics. I've known him all my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we, um, we have a kind of shorthand and, you know, mm. I, I knew what I wanted with Squash. I, I knew exactly what I wanted the atmosphere of the piece to be and I sort of gave it to Lewis and said, right, what? What should we do musically for this? And and knew that he would come up with something that that suited it exa- uh, perfectly. And that, you know there was a lot of kind of David Lynchy mm. kind of reference points there, and and Cohen Brothers kind of you know mm. there was a kind of that that kind of vibe in the piece. It was this sort of unsettling, claustrophobic, slightly absurd, slightly surreal piece of work. And Lewis's mm. sound design was all kind of organ music and library yeah, music uh, and things like of, that uh, taking a really quite naff sounding uh, Hammond organ you know people playing the, the, the hits on Hammond organ <laughs> and putting it through a kind of uh, pitch thing so it would be kind of wobbly and making it all sound like it was just crackling out of this radio in the room uh, and then putting some nice sort of deep dread notes underneath yeah <laughs> which on the first the first performance were like so loud yeah. <laughs> just that anytime said anything yeah unsettling oh, it was just ah. <laughs> I remember Juliet Cadwell was like mm. I don't know what I don't, I'm not sure about those those uh, the music <laughs> right in front of Lewis I was like oh, actually um, but uh, uh, 
Yeah, and and then very shortly after that, we started what we did light boxes together, which mm. was my sort of directorial. Um, well, I'd done squash and I'd done a, a couple of things at Oranmore, but it was this sort of first big thing with Gridiron, mm. which was a piece that I adapted from a book, Light Boxes by Shane Jones, and uh, Lewis did video design on that. Mm. And at that point, you hadn't done huge amounts of video, or you had done wee bits with. Yeah, I guess. I guess. It, yeah, yeah. I had, uh, it was a few years on from my kind of first uh, main stage show, which was a. J- uh, Jemima Levick did Anna Karenina at the Rep in 2011 uh, and Lightboxes would have been like 2015 oh, yeah. so I'd done like it, it hadn't really become my, my job yet it was sort of something that I got the opportunity to do fairly infrequently and I was you know uh, making money sort of doing casual work elsewhere um, but I guess like um, Gridirons grid I, I don't know it just feels important to sort of give a shout out to Gridiron because like yeah. after uh, working with you on Lightboxes, it was the, the sort of biggest opportunity opportunity I'd had uh, to my career thus far was a, was a Gridiron show, was um, Crude, the show that Ben directed in the, in the shipping hangar in Dundee. Um, That's Ben Harrison, yeah. Ben Harrison, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I guess it just feels important to mention that yeah, that they, company... Jude, Jude and Deb and Ben, uh, Jude and Deb Doherty and Ben Harrison uh, have really supported. Champion. Yeah, champion. Yeah, champion supported mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and individually, not kind of. Uh, yeah, you know, individually. Together, yeah. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, indeed. I mean, I haven't done anything with them since Lightboxes. Right, so maybe. Yeah. Maybe they've decided. Consider <laughs> <laughs> yourself champion. Yeah, dump. champion. Dump. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, I think that the thing, the thing is that we, as I was saying, we've got very similar we've got a similar sense of aesthetic we've got a similar mm. sense of humor we we you know we grew up watching the same things and mm. and listening to the same music and and enjoying this you know when we would go and see plays together we would enjoy the same things from it so it just made sense that as i started to to develop as a director i wanted lewis there as a collaborator of of any kind you know as i say on squash it was it was music on um light boxes it was video but equally you were just there you've got very 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 good dramaturgical brain mm. so like you in devising work you need that you need you need someone to kind of bounce ideas off and, and lewis is always that that person for me you know i tend to talk to you about any, any of the shows that i'm working on even if there's no job for you on. yeah <laughs> <laughs> find a way mm-hmm. to get you involved Just um, sort of kind of. yeah exactly exactly <laughs> After making light boxes, it felt like okay, we want to do this again. We want to make this make work in this way again. And so, because um, it was a very kind of devised process, we were ad- adapting from a novel, but it was it was very it was quite a loose adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, we went away to Mull for a week to develop it and, and found this you know ex- quite exciting experimental um, experimenting with different ways of working and and. Uh, 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 and that really felt like okay, well, we want to make more work like this. Mm-hmm make work in this way, yeah. not necessarily knowing what type of work to make. And it mm. wasn't until we start to develop The Afflicted, which was Group Works' first show, that, that we've, we found a, a subject matter that we, that we wanted to develop together. Mm. One advantage of family is that you can say what you like to them and you're, they're still going to be family. And yeah. so, so you can, you know, there's a lot of tension that, uh, uh, that takes place with any creative process. So is that an advantage to... to um, to be able to talk to each other honestly 
uh, or is there a disadvantage if you're trying to, I don't know what the opposite of that would be, not, not um, you know, not wanting to offend each other's feelings or mm. something that you might do if you were genuinely unrelated yeah. uh, professionals? I think, I think overall it's an advantage that, that yeah. being able to be honest and sort of being able to uh, discuss things sort of out of hours. And I think when we're working on something together, I certainly uh, bring it home much more and, and kind of, it's usually something that I'm like, okay, this is this show is part of my <laughs> psychic day to day experience. You know, like it's part, it's it's embedded in my brain. The fact that we're brothers means that that can, you know, any sort of time at night, an idea can be discussed. I guess. If we're being honest, sometimes mm. I feel like you talk to me in a way that you would, wouldn't talk to another director. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And like, like you know, Ben Harrison wouldn't get yeah. that, or Jemima Levick wouldn't get that. Like, yeah, <laughs> certainly. Um, but that's again one of the you know one of the advantages is that we we see that. Mm-hmm. And actually, something that you've grown up with in with your parents. Yeah, I yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Work and there must have been very little blur, but little yeah. uh, distinction between between, between work, work and, and home. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, mm. Again, another thing that is up for discussion. With my <laughs> but it sort of, yeah, it does mean that we, because the, the sort of third member of group work, our company is is Vicky Manderson, who's a choreographer and uh, director, movement director, and also my partner. So the, the the sort of three of us at the core of it are, you know, our family essentially. Mm-hmm. But I, what the the thing that I find difficult is that Vicky and Lewis can go and do different projects with different directors but if I was to suddenly work with a different video director or a different choreographer oh it wouldn't it wouldn't work that relationship it, 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 there's a big question mark there isn't mm, there if you, yeah. if you do want to work with somebody different yeah. um I mean I would certainly I'd I'd, I'd have to ask permission mm. first I think yeah. Yeah, I mean, in seriousness, it would it would be fine. But I guess it's, it's more the same. <laughs> seeing that, yeah, right. seeing that, uh-huh. it's, you can't it's see his like, eyes. Yeah, I guess it just depends on the project. You know, if it was something that I would really want <laughs> to get my teeth into, and then you're like, I'm going to go with this other person, then I'd probably be upset. But I think I would be upset if that were the case with another director that I've that I've you know done good work with. Um, so that doesn't feel so much like a kind of the blurred boundary between. Prof- I suppose I'd feel. It, it, it would be easier to have a go at Finn about it in, in a very personal way, which I wouldn't do with another director. And, and never let him yeah. forget it. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about group work. You you put on a show that was called The Afflicted. You're yes. putting it on again, but it's not. It's called The Hope River Girls this time. It uh, it's going to be as part of... In, oh, it's not called Imaginate anymore, the Children's Festival, Edinburgh Children's Festival. Ah, is it called? Whatever it's called. I believe Imaginate is still the... Yeah, yeah, yeah Imaginate is the, the overall body but the festival yeah. itself has got a different name why are you giving it a different name it's a it's a sort of reimagined sh- version of the show the original show was made in 2019 it's about a mysterious outbreak at a school set in up uh, in america in upstate new york it's based on inspired by and based on true events mm-hmm. but we are reimagining it for young people so it is going to be it will have the same basic shape mm-hmm. i think as the afflicted but it's a you know it's we're taking this opportunity to, to reimagine certain things um, because it's for an audience of, I think, 10 or 11 plus. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the big things about The Afflicted that we um, loved was it had this really deep, creeping sense of dread <laughs> in it, which doesn't necessarily feel like uh, you want to be giving 11-year-olds a sense of creeping dread. Still give them... <laughs> 
are we scared? Yeah. But um, so things like that, I think I think there's going to be, and and it feels like the context has shifted a little bit in the last uh, three years. You know, the global context has mm. shifted. Um, so I think it's just an opportunity for us to 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 revisit it, and and I think there's you know imagine it saw something in in the afflicted that they felt would work for young audiences. It's about teenage girls, so you know we're not going to change a huge amount because clearly like that's the show that, that they want but I think it's just about about making it satisfying for us to, to revisit as well you know and uh, how typical do you would you like it to be in terms of what it tells you about the company because the company as you've described is made up of a director a choreographer and 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 a musician stroke uh, video maker yeah. it, uh, that automatically says something, I think, about the, the nature of the work, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, The, the Afflicted was our, our first show, Hope River Girls, is a version of that show, so really we only made one show. <laughs> but, but certainly we have a very strong sense of... We're, we're developing another piece at, at mm-hmm. the moment as well. We've done a couple of R&Ds on a, on a, on a new work. Um, but, yeah, it's sort of... I think when you're making work as a as a because I did a lot of work as an assistant and associate director before before getting to, to make my own stuff. You get put in charge of things like scene changes and transitions and mm. stuff like that. And Vicky as a choreographer gets put in charge of that sort of stuff. And when I was working, I lived in London for, for about seven years and I was seeing a lot of stuff at the Barbican and Sadler's Wells, this very, you know, very kind of visual, dance-based, European work. And I thought, that's the kind of stuff that I want to make. I think, it's, I think that was the thing with group work. It was like, what sort of the as I said earlier, what sort of theatre do I want to see? Do we want to see and are we not do we feel we're not seeing and, and do we want to see? So I think yes, that that show the afflicted is typical of of our our style, our um uh the the the, the kind of work that we're that we're really interested yeah. in making stuff that that has this like bombastic um, storytelling mm. mode because it doesn't te- it doesn't sort of begin middle end it's it's told in it this kind of full documentary very multimedia kind of assault on the mm. senses style which when we were making it I think that was just the immediate um, it felt like the the form that suited the content but yeah. it also feels like a form that 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 suits the moment as well in in a way like yeah. you know that, and i like... think that suits you know that, that if if you want to you know like you you want to make theater and so you're you're kind of trying to get people away from cinemas <laughs> their televisions their computers their you know music you know uh music streaming services youtube like you're 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 t- sort of taking them in, people into a space and saying like we've got something else we can offer you in here and uh the uh the fact that theater can be sort of um loud and scary and immediate in its own unique way i think uh is is what's important to exploit you know the the kind of uh I, you know i think it's maybe quite a sort of like tw- 21st century thing but the fact that it's kind of makes a lot of people quite anxious the idea of sitting in a room and watching a live performance like I have friends who are just like oh it freaks me out to to um watch someone do something live because you're like what if something goes wrong you know there's a real kind of sense of panic uh, and lack of safety that is absent when you're just watching tv or watching a, you know even watching a film in the in the cinema um and I think that that's kind of what the style of the afflicted kind of exploits it's like that you can do you can really get into people's bodies. You can make them jump. Mm. You know, you can, you can, 
you know, send loads of bass through the speakers and rumble their uh, intestines, you know, like that stuff that uh, the afflicted did. And, and I think that uh, it's stuff that is kind of, it's, it's sort of effects that are uniquely possible in theatre. Mm -hmm. you know? when, when the afflicted was on, at the same time, Square Go, which I, had, I mentioned earlier, which I'd made the year before, was playing in a, we were in the, the, the anatomy, uh, no, what's it called? Anatomy room. The anatomy yeah. room in Summerhall and then the, in the courtyard in the tent next door, Square Go was on. And you could you could go from the afflicted to Square Go. <laughs> you could have a little double bill if you yeah. wanted. But um, clearly the stage manager, <laughs> the stage manager was, this, it was shared through mm. all shows. But, the, but Square Go was similar. You know, it was this sort of sweaty, mm. sweary, very physical piece of work that, that audi the audience, like, it, 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 um, it, it, necessitated audience participation and I remember having with both of those shows this feeling of like wanting to make theatre that wasn't um that wasn't all intellectual that was that was that that was physical that as mm. you're saying Lewis like has a physical effect on people and requires people to kind of take part physically or 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 feel something with their bodies be that laughter be that uh, being scared mm. um and in doing that, then the take the takeaway from that is is you know with the afflicted we had lots of people afterwards having big discussions about it because it's it's true quote unquote true and so people were were interested in in that but I think that the intellectual side of it came about because of the, the, the physical mm. in a way yeah. and because of this kind of um, uh, yes yeah, this 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 mode of storytelling that was was much more kind of sit up and take notice, you know, yeah. asking the audience to sit up and take notice. Mm -hmm. To kind of go back to, to a question you asked earlier, there's something about that style of show that's very, very different to the sort of shows we were seeing when we grew up. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, there's certainly a kind of, um, a, a kind of, uh, not a rebellion, but it's, it's certainly in that sense, like, we, for, for me, seeing a play, I understand where I am with the play, like mm. that's I, I can do a play no bother at all and 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 whereas whereas dance physical theater visual theater was not something that we saw a lot of when we were under, although scotch dance theater at Dundee as well mm. and so i kind of always i think i was i was always drawn to something that felt like an alternative form mm. of theater making um you know yeah and it's like the material, I don't know, there's something about, I think that if you start off with a script, that somebody, the script that an individual has written, you're sort of going like, well, I'm confident that this has been written to the best of that person's ability. And so that's your stable ground that you're starting off with. And I, what we were starting off with was, a, a, you know, a couple of articles about an event that had actually taken place. Um, and so even... And, so, and, and to, to be fair, there was uh, uh, Jake Jepson, who's a, uh, an associate of the company and collaborator. Mm -hmm. He wrote... Um, he, he, it was him that, that first... Um, he'd spotted the kind of... The, the, the articles about mm -hmm. the case, and so he brought the idea. Um, so there was, there was some text, but mm -hmm. it was... So but a just, real sort of, like, loose, you know, kind of uh, nebula of text, yeah, in a way, yeah, like, yeah. rather than a... a the, no, no obvious structure existed. Um, and like, yeah, there's something about that. Then, like the the show itself is this unwieldy kind of thing that you're kind of pushing and massaging into shape in a way, you know. And then that that's just like there's no there's there's nothing like that. I don't think to to have something that you're, uh, uh, yeah, kind of grappling with in a collaborative space with performers and other artists and 
like you're all trying to sort of yeah make this thing take shape mm -hmm. and there isn't like a it doesn't have the kind of spinal column that a, that a text gives a, a rehearsal process you know like there's something very because you're kind of like we could fail completely mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> and, and, and you know in terms of like you you can go right we need a bit of text for this mm -hmm. and jake lives in america so he was although i think he may have even been in finland when we were rehearsing right. and so there was sort of you know emails or skype calls going okay we're going to need a bit of text mm -hmm. that fits this to join this dance that we've just made to a bit of video that lewis <laughs> has done so can you get something to us by mm -hmm. tomorrow morning you know which again is a really exciting yeah that that rather than going how do we stage this scene mm -hmm. it's more what what do we do in order to for this dance piece to make sense next to this mm -hmm. video or whatever it's sort of, it feels, you know, kind of like it's, it's crafting an album or something, you yeah. know, like you've got these chunks and you need to sort of find the connective tissue between them. And then moments where you go, actually, we need to move that chunk and mm. put it here for the for the flow to, yeah. for the piece to flow, for it to have a kind of dramaturgical flow or whatever. Yeah. Which, when you're doing that in tech, yeah. which is what we did. I was like, that scene, we need to move that scene. Yeah. I think, like, I worked it out from the back of the stalls and was like, all right, guys, we're going to move the scene. And everyone's like, what? We're on day three of tech. What are you on about? No, we have to. We have to do it. Let's do it. And I was right. It was right, yeah. Uh -huh. and Lewis, I'm wondering if you could say something about the um, what you've learned from doing video in particular, because it, I'm just trying to think when this period would have been. It would have been even possibly even before you were born, but there was a point when, when people were first using what was called high-tech in, 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 in theatre, but it tended to be like a, a television screen in the corner yeah. of the stage. And, and uh, there's something, as you know, about television screens that your eye yeah. are, is drawn to it and away from the live action of, of yeah. the stage and, and it can just compete. And, and, and there's something about the nature of the recorded image that counters is the opposite of the liveness that you're Absolutely. talking about in Swergo and all the rest of it. That you're, you, you, uh, and that you're talking about you're, the thing that your friends don't like that liveness <laughs> because it's a bit scary. So my question is how, how what you've learned about um, marrying the the liveness of theatre on one hand with the pre-recordedness and the yeah. and the attention grabbingness of of. of of, of video yeah well much of, and i should say much of your video work is, is very big scale it's very mm -hmm. dominant it's very um it, it, it's it's working closely with the designers it's it's yeah. um but and using the set and whatever but it's it, it's often integral to the work mm. yeah well i guess I've, I've learned that you you have to be conscious of that dynamic but and and you ha and, and i think you have to foreground the liveness i i feel like i have to be respectful to the bodies on stage and be like it's about them that there are some ways of using video in theatre that are a little self-defeating or, or kind of a bit of a shortcut uh, away from stagecraft uh, and and like I don't know there's been shows that I've worked on where I felt like what I was being asked to do was a kind of shortcut away from stagecraft and I don't tend to kick up a fuss about it because somebody's asking you know asking me to do something and, and they're paying me to do it so I'm trying to kind of help them with their vision, but um, I think that it's it's uh, it's a yeah it's a technology that you have to use with kind of nimble fingers. But sometimes going really big and bold with it is the most exciting way of using it, and and and, it, and it's kind of like the most honest way of using it in a way as well. When you're kind of 
trying to pretend that something isn't video, uh, that's a bit cheaty, I think, you know. Um, but when you go, here's a screen and there's going to be moving images on it, and these moving images have been made, you know, before this, um, it, it doesn't necessarily make it a, a kind of tacky intervention in, into the kind of um, nice organic liveness of, of, of the stage. You know, it's, it's more a way of going like, you know, kind of confidently saying this is part of the language of the work that we're all collaboratively presenting. I mean, I, I've done stuff for like Christmas shows where you're like, okay, you're making a special effect um, effectively, and that you know, I'm kind of fine with There's that. There's a place it's, for that, yeah, it? yeah, and it's fun, and it makes it sort of dazzling. And, and uh, I, I get really excited when I see a big screen on, mm. on a stage um, because as long as it's not just, as you say, it's it's not a stand-in for uh, 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 for 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 you know, for mm. set design or whatever. That's when I I find it problematic mm -hmm. when it's kind mm. of showing you a sunrise or a sunset or whatever, mm. rather than that just being. I've had um, to do a few sunrises. I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had to do a, sunset, a sunrise for one of your shows. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But I'm wondering as, as well about um, if you're working with the designer, but, but if the designer knows that they've got to have the video as part of the thing, mm. minimum thing, that the video has to be projected onto something. Yeah, so yeah. so it's, it's integral to their thinking as well as to yours. Yeah, and there are some designers who really just don't want to put a big screen on their, on their set and you know understandably um and then there are other designers who are like get a big screen there and that's you know like that's the set yeah and then you do this <laughs> um but uh yeah like it's it's it is this kind of thing where like i'd love to see a, a set where there isn't a big screen but not when i have to do a video design <laughs> this show, you know? i'm just a punter and i walk in and there isn't a big screen i'm like yay um, i think that, that lewis you do something quite unique in video design sometimes where and that's possibly from your art background or, or whatever where you aren't just going let's project a sunset or let's you know let's have a face someone you know a close-up of someone's face you're you're looking for the more poetic you know you mm. use a lot of certainly in the afflicted there's a lot of kind of stock footage and and found footage that kind of tells tells another story it allows allows you know because i think we we as an odd as audiences now we receive so much information on a day-to-day -day basis that when we go to the theater actually we can take it we can take mm. being given lots of information at once and it's it's not essential for a script to spell everything out now mm. so what are the various mediums, media, that um, that we can use to to to? Because you've met, sometimes you've only got an hour to tell a story, but yeah. you want to create a wider world, and and yeah. I certainly think that, that the work that you do, Lewis, does that. Mm -hmm. Thanks very much. Sorry. <laughs> um, I have one final question, which uh, might send you back to the, your psychiatrist, which is <laughs> which is what. So so what happens? You you you've, you've both followed in the family business. What happens when the family comes to see your work? How, how, what relationship does do, do your parents have with with the stuff that you do? Do they come and see your work? Maybe <laughs> that's do. even more significant. They tend to, yeah. Well, how do you how, how, how do you it's feel? How do you feel? Is it like? It's a nerve-wracking, it certainly is uh, the, a nerve-wracking experience. Um, uh, For you, do you find do you, you're more nervous about them seeing it than other people Yeah, see it? definitely. I don't feel that. No. <laughs> Which is strange. 
I don't, I don't get more nervous when they're in the audience than anyone else, really. I get terribly nervous just at, sitting in, in, a, in a performance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I hate going, I hate press night, you know. Uh, but um, yeah, them being there, it doesn't, doesn't affect it for me. Sorry, mum and dad. <laughs> <laughs> Just now I'm thinking about the fact that they might listen to this, and yeah. so I'm feeling uh-huh. anxious about that. I, um, no, I think certainly for me, you know, because it's, because we've followed in their footsteps, because they have seen everything we've done, really, um, it, 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 it's, it's a big deal. I think it is for, for well, obviously not for Lewis, but for, for most people, like putting stuff in front of their, their parents. But I think that they come and see it as our parents, not as people who work in the industry. You know, they're watching. They're not watching it going, well, I wouldn't have done it like that. Or when I was mm. in X, Y, Z. Although I say that it doesn't affect me particularly. When they came to see The Afflicted and they both visibly really enjoyed it. Yeah. And like, it wasn't just like, well done, boys. You know, they were, it was kind of like they were, they kind of had a sincere encounter with a piece of theatre that they found interesting you could tell that from speaking to them and yeah. and that i felt proud about that yeah, you know yeah um but if you know, with the enemy they really they had they were buzzing after the enemy mm-hmm. and that was really exciting too yeah and it, to I, I've, I've i'm trying to think of an example i'm fairly certain daniel daniel sloss the comedian I, i'm fairly certain his, his mum is a bit like um, andy murray's mum you know giving ah, right. <laughs> instructions and really, being quite brut- brutally honest yeah. uh, with him to say oh, that joke didn't go down well enough to da, da, da. Right. particularly maybe for, for you in, in your acting i don't know whether you, um your, your mum had that sort of honesty with you she did i mean uh, uh, she, when when I, rem- I will never forget that she said after she saw my first, the first thing I did at the end of my first year at drama school, she didn't tell me this at the time. She told me this like six months later, once I'd done something good. She said, I did think if maybe you'd made a terrible mistake. <laughs> I did wonder. And then now, but now I've seen you do this and actually you're really good. But I did wonder after seeing, you know, it was in like a Gorky play or something like that. Um, and, you know, me and my mum have, we have acted together. I have directed her, you know, so that's really exciting. I remember coming off stage during Silver Darlings, which was a show that me and my mother did that was up at um, His Majesty's Theatre Aberdeen, based on the Neil Gunn book, which is where my name comes from. This is becoming a longer story than I intended to be. <laughs> my name, Finn, comes from the book The Silver Darlings, and then we got I played Finn in The Silver Darlings, and my mum was in it. It was lovely. But I remember coming off stage at one point. I don't know, I think we were in Inverness or something like that, and her giving, you know, sort of grab it, grabbing me by the shoulder and just giving me a thumbs up as if, like, it's really, you know, you're really on it tonight. And I remember the excitement of, you know, that, that, that that's really... Because it's not just... In that scenario, it's a colleague, mm-hmm. a respected colleague, not just my mother. That's somebody who's been in this business and has been on stage with a lot of good actors. And so, you know, for her to kind of look me in the eye, colleague to colleague, and go, you're doing really fucking well tonight. I'm sorry, can I swear? You're doing yeah. really Too well late. tonight. <laughs> Too late. Uh, is, um, is, is, is a great feeling. Um, mm. And... And I think, you know, having just directed her for the, for the first time as well last summer, I, I think there was, a, that, there was a mutual respect there when, when we worked together. Um, uh, um, and actually, in a way, there's more, I, I don't know, I get more out of that than, than them coming to see stuff. Like the, the working mm-hmm. together creates this, this really brilliant energy and this really kind of, it feels like we've, we've you know, come in a bit of a cir- full mm-hmm. circle. 
um, with that with that stuff. And uh, it just occurred to me there that um, in in maybe a sort of slight inversion of the story you've just told, when my mum came to see my post grad degree show, the her utter be- bewilderment with it, and uh, it did kind of occur to me at that point, like if the work I'm making in this contemporary art context uh, is just too opaque. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, my, if my mum doesn't get it, then maybe I need to talk in a different language because yeah. maybe I'm just talking in a language that other contemporary art people understand. And I think that that is part of the kind of journey of realising theatre is a more immediate kind of thing and, and, and that storytelling is, 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 uh, is, is really key. It's quite. Um, it's, it's it's sort of a trope that you hear quite a lot where people go when you're making a show and people go, yeah, but what will my mum think? Mm-hmm. Of it? And I sort of go, well, I'll tell you what my mum will think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, but I suppose that's the same with the, with yeah. the art stuff. Felt important to talk in a way that would that would have a broader appeal. Mm-hmm. And I think that what's m- missing a lot from the contemporary art space is just storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I think that storytelling is like the the that's the vehicle for comprehension. You know, like that's really how you get things across to people is mm-hmm. this foregrounding storytelling, I think. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. Well, that's a lovely place to start and finish. It feels <laughs> like it doesn't start. It doesn't start. Yeah, we're going to do it all again. <laughs> now I'm going to ask you the real questions. <laughs> but it feels like start and finish has been sort of nicely mm. rounded off as you just described yeah, as well. Pretended. So, yeah, We're so good at that. Thank you very much. <laughs> Finn and Lewis Den Hertog were talking to Mark Fisher. Theatre Voice is an audio archive of conversations about British theatre and there are hundreds more interviews on theatrevoice.com, so have a dig around. The producers are Tim Bano and Helen Gush. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.